0: So 206 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 5th of December 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan, Partial Content, Graham, Good Evening, and Will. Hello! What on earth do you want about Phelan? Well, it's the last HTML
1: code before we have to get to 300. And that's a bit of a wait. So I just thought I had to get one in it again. Ah, (laughs) right. Okay,
0: fair enough. I thought it might have something to do with football. Come on, from me, really, please. Well, yeah. How how are Ireland doing in the World Cup? We chose not to qualify as a political statement. Right, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Well, it's coming home. We're still in it as you listen to this. Uh, We'll see about next week. But anyway, enough of that nonsense. Let's talk about some news. The first one you found, him, and then I saw it all over the place. Crucial computer program for particle physics at risk of obsolescence. Yeah, and the main thing I took away from this is the
1: fact that, you know, we always have these one developer type or two developers, people that are doing some amazing technology that, you know, it's that famous XKCD comic where it's balanced on this tiny hair of a project. And it turns out that physics is in exactly the same place. So it's kind of good to see that. I thought that was quite kumbaya between us and the physics
0: world. Yeah, specifically the particle physics world, because it turns out that the calculations that they need to do are ridiculously complicated and need just enormous amounts of RAM.
1: And... As ridiculous as you're thinking they are, no, no, they're much more
0: ridiculous than that. Yeah. Mm. Almost, well, basically impossible by human hand, pen and paper. You just couldn't do it. And even with really beefy computers, you can't do it unless you have this specific software, which is really old. It's like older than me, I think. Sorry, chaps. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) It's just maintained by one dude who is like in his 70s and is retired and no one is going to take it on. And this is GPL3, so someone could easily contribute to it, but instead people are just throwing more horsepower at it and using programs that are going to be orders of magnitude slower.
1: Yeah, I love how you said easily contribute to that when the the state of the maths that's involved is like, yeah, you won't be doing anything easily to that at all. And you realize that if you fuck it up,
0: it's going to make a big difference. Well, easily insofar as it's not proprietary. And so you don't have to get a job working for the company who's working on it. Anyone in theory could contribute to it. But the problem seems to be that in academia, You only really get ahead if you publish papers and get cited and stuff. And if you work on the tools that everyone needs, you don't really get much recognition. And so you've got less chance of getting tenure and progressing in your academic career. So it seems to be not necessarily a technical problem as much as a sort of political and social problem within the academic system.
2: It's also the second law of thermodynamics, which states <laughs> that everything tends towards chaos, so it doesn't matter how... They may patch it up and fix it for now, but ultimately, <laughs> it'll all end in entropy. This strikes me as something which AI would be
3: quite good at, either rewriting... Or-
0: <laughs> really, though? Is AI really the solution? <laughs> no, it isn't. Cut them off!
3: <laughs> From what I know, which isn't very much, you could take some of the formulas that have been invented to do the hard maths and throw it at an AI machine learning model that just tries random shit until it finds something that works. That seems to be a potential route out of obsolescence for this particular package. I think you're more likely to create a black
0: hole from all (laughs) the Nvidia cards imploding (laughs) at trying to do it. Well, that kind of leads on to uh, the second thing we're going to talk about which is this GPT-3 chat bot thing. And uh, I was going to troll fail him with this business email generator by Danny Richman. So this is a guy who is mentoring uh, a young man who has uh, literacy problems. He's not, he's not very good at writing and stuff, but he's got a landscaping business, and so he needs to communicate with his customers. And so uh, this guy, Danny, has helped him out by interfacing with the GPT-3 chat thing, And so the young man can just write the basics of what he needs to write to the customer. It interprets it, spits out a really professional-looking email for him to send. It then gets checked by someone, as you would hope, and uh, it makes it much more likely that he's going to succeed in his business. So, Phelan, you are wrong that AI is totally bad. Here is one good example. Do we
1: know that Danny Richmond is a real person? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm just putting it out there. I don't know this guy. He's just a name on Twitter. He could be a bot for all we know.
2: Does it matter anymore, Phelan? (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) I mean, I think we could have all predicted this when we saw the incredible imagery that came from stable diffusion and certainly text it has got to be a lot easier. I've been really impressed as well with all the chat output and input that's been floating around the internet, very much like the imagery had been. And I think the writing's on the wall for uh, technical writing, that's for sure.
0: I totally disagree with you, Graeme, and I'll tell you why. What this GPT chat thing is really good at is appearing to be good and to be really like the thing it's trying to be. But in reality, especially with technical things, it's just a little bit off. It looks like someone bullshitting their way through being a technical writer, but it doesn't quite deliver on all the details.
2: Yeah, I I completely understand that. And I was being a bit flippant. But technical writing at its core is actually like a logical process. There's a certain set of data that needs to be presented in a certain way. And kind of the gift that some technical writers have is to unravel this and recombine it in a way that hopefully the most number of people can understand. And I think that's very much something that some AI could do in the future.
3: One of the examples that I saw in the last week or so was John T. Waring on Twitter posted somebody who had asked the bot to write Terraform code that creates a user and an S3 bucket in AWS and then grants access to that user to the, to the bucket and then delete the bucket if it's data is older than 30 days. And it did it. So there's a, a certain aspect of inherent knowledge about how to use tools which is being very quickly learned by these models the output that it produces is not only valid it's also correct and it can be proven to be correct and it can be tested against Mm. so these sorts of things i think are a a real threat to sre type engineers that sort of thing although you, you could also argue and perhaps this is a better approach that this will free people up from doing all of that tedious text editing into having more time to do more interesting things.
2: No, I totally agree. I think we can start, but haven't we had this discussion before, but really it's going to reveal the failings in capitalism. The fact that so much <laughs> stuff has already been automated and yet most of us are working harder than our parents worked. This shouldn't be the case when so much stuff is easier than it was before. You know, what the fuck's happening? This should free our free time and so we can, you know, spend more days watching YouTube. And let's face it, in a proper capitalist system,
1: they'll just make the API really hard to use. So you have to buy <laughs> the AI from them that can run it, because otherwise it's just not gonna work. Oh yeah, let's really go there. You're right. Well we should. Yes we should. <laughs> if you're going there with magical yeah. document
0: technical writing AIs, I just I have to go there too. The problem is that this AI does not understand what it's writing it just it's well it's not just regurgitating it's it's understands it in its own weird AI way but I asked this uh, GPT chat thing some very technical questions about a field that I used to know quite a lot about and it regurgitated shit that sort of almost seemed like it knew what it was doing but ultimately it didn't it didn't understand the principles of why it knows the what and the how but it doesn't understand the why and for me, that is why you learn things, is to learn the why. Why is it that I'm doing this particular command to get the thing to do the thing that it's going to do or whatever? It, it's no good to just learn it parrot fashion. Like, I remember as a kid, my dad would try and teach me times tables parrot fashion. Two times two is four. Three times three is nine. And, and so you can say to him, right, what's six sevens? And he'll just... Uh, So that's, what, 36. I I have to work it out logically. I don't know what that is. Uh, What, 49 or 42? There you go, right. Whereas he could just do it like that. No, was that even right? I don't even, who knows? (laughs) I've got a fucking calculator. Who cares?
1: Nobody can tell. It is 42,
0: yeah. Right. But the point being that I want to know why. I don't want to just know what. And maybe my mind is different, and maybe that's just totally fucking irrelevant to stuff, but I want to know why I should do the thing that I should do. And AI just doesn't understand the why, and so it can't possibly teach you the why.
2: I think it will get there, but this example that you gave about um, somebody who, who really isn't equipped maybe to even start an email... There's a huge amount that can be done to help people, even by just helping them get started. Even if it's just the structure of something, or the grammar of something, or even the spelling, or the right apostrophes of something. Even before you get to all of those big questions about the why, which I do understand, and I think it'll get there. But there's still, I'm still hugely impressed, and I think the why will come, and probably quicker than we're all imagining.
0: I disagree. I just, I don't think that it's set up to be able to understand the why of things.
2: But I think it'll t- it's it's we need to use it people will start using it and there'll be a i mean imagine if there are two different kinds of models that kind of fight each other for kind of supremacy or more an infinite number of models maybe there's an AI for creating models that kind of thing will start kind of feeding back on one another. I don't know, maybe it sounds a bit sci-fi, but the more people start using it and engaging it and they find a way of feeding back this kind of information into it, it'll start self-improving itself. Um, So in, I don't know, let's just say 25 years, in 25 years time of this kind of progress, what are we going to have?
3: I think I can hear
1: failing packing his bags. (laughs) I'll
2: tell you this much, I'm going to be ticking an awful lot of not
1: boxes with cars and crossroads in them, and we'll see how you all do crossing the road in the next
3: few years. I'm with Graham. I think that this is a very powerful tool that will enable a whole lot of people to do better for themselves, and I'm generally in favour of it. I do think as well that the machines will start teaching the machines, at which point I'm not really sure how it ends, but... (laughs) yeah can't be worse than
0: this (laughs) well it can't be but i'm not worried about machines teaching machines because they'll only be teaching them the what and uh, you know i might be proven wrong on this long term and they may understand the why but uh that is the fatal flaw that i've discovered in this whole thing of they just don't understand the why and uh feel free to tell me i'm wrong
3: I think you are right that they won't understand the why. But what I think the next logical step is, and and perhaps the final step, is that they will at least be able to see if they are correct or not. Not necessarily by understanding the sort of inner meaning of what it is that they're doing, but just some magic algorithm that tells them if what they've produced is correct or not. And I think that's probably good enough.
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Company hijacks Blender's Creative Commons licensed film. YouTube strikes user. This is an article on Torrent Freak. And there's a chap called Bruno Fernandez Ruiz, who, apart from his day job of being uh, some AI bollocks, is also uh, a film music composer and producer. And he was doing some soundtrack stuff and wanted some Creative Commons footage with sound effects to kind of practice on and and show his skills off with. And so what better than the excellent work that the Blender people have done? I mean, Big Buck Bunny is the famous one, but they've got a few other films as well, which are excellent, and they're all Creative Commons licensed. And so he thought, right, excellent, I can uh, do my work based on that, stick it on YouTube, jobs are gooden. But no, someone else had used the same footage, not licensed it properly, And it was a TV channel in Uzbekistan, apparently. And they issued a copyright strike and YouTube just said, no, fuck you, basically after lots of appeals. And so he is shit out of luck. And um, this is just a total abuse of Creative Commons and everything. And I'm outraged about it.
2: It's terrifying. I imagine it's kind of a pseudo AI response from Google and YouTube. And and think about what we just talked about in terms of email responses from not real people. It's already bad now, but it's going to be almost impossible when we have GPT chat replying to us. Yeah, I think you're uh, spot on
3: there. I think that looking at the replies that he got, it feels very much like a human being has never been involved in this process. And yeah, this is the way the world is going. The, the companies are incentivized not to trouble their staff by having to speak to their stupid customers and hiding behind cheap robots. The world will only
1: get worse because of this. And this is not the first time we've heard things like this. We've heard, I'm trying to think of the company, I think it's GEMA, which is the German version of the RIAA, have routinely um, take down notices against artists whose their own music is up on YouTube in Germany and stuff like that. You know, if you want to do those types of things, I don't think you can suddenly take either point down. I mean, if somebody is stealing a product, yeah, fair enough. But if that is not, and it's a case like this where it's a false positive, then either that or YouTube should be bloody paying the artist. Because the amount of sort of views that a content creator could have on their video, if that goes down in the first week, They are fucked. They've wasted their time on that. That's their own revenue that YouTube has essentially stolen off of them because of a a bad actor. And you can't just have that, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's self-regulating content provider, blah, blah, blah. Bollocks. There needs to be some sort of, dare I say, legal recourse
0: to be taken against YouTube for a false attack. Well, the problem here specifically seems to be that Creative Commons video and content generally isn't respected that the license isn't respected it's just assumed that everything is all rights reserved but that's tough to youtube they're the ones making
1: the incorrect decision here mm. it's their onus if they want to allow stuff to be put up there then they have to have the onus to check it and if they don't want to invest that effort then they shouldn't
0: allow it to be put up to play devil's advocate could we not have some system where if you've got creative commons media you could add it to a database that YouTube has access to and can scan because you know you can fingerprint video and audio relatively easily. That sounds to me Joe like
1: you have never encountered the yeah I've ripped that video here but you need to slow it down to 75% so uh, you can see it properly so it gets past the content engine. Yeah
0: but that's an arms race that YouTube is going to win ultimately and this guy Bruno did reach out to Blender for their advice but Ton, I think his name is from the Blender project, got back to him saying, well, yeah, this is like really shit, but we just don't have the resources to deal with it. And we're really sorry about that. Maybe try Creative Commons. After all, it's their mission, he says, which is, uh, you know, I think that's a fair enough response from Blender, really. They're a relatively small team and they just don't have time for Google's bullshit.
2: Yes, that is a good response, especially, you know, Creative Commons. It's a central place to fight this kind of thing and other people who are probably suffering from the same thing as well, they can at least be aware of it all.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought we'd mention it. And if there's anyone out there listening who could help, then um, click on the link in the show notes and, uh, you know, find the people involved and help if you can, please. Finger out, Christopher or not. All right. Let's all laugh at Musk and Twitter and everything. (laughs) I've been looking for an excuse, and here's the excuse. An SJVN article on ZDNet and the horrendous fucking uh, Web3-style theme, but we'll look past that. (laughs) Twitter turns its back on open source development. Turns out that Twitter, as well as being consumers of quite a lot of open source software, actually did have an open source software department, as it were, and, and have created quite a lot of projects and maintain them and all those people by the looks of things don't work for Twitter anymore so that has all gone to shit so yeah nice one Elon you word I can't say for fear of getting
2: fired (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about this honestly if this is the first we've heard of all these amazing open source projects that Twitter has been working on for 10 years then I'm a bit like well so what
0: No, that's the wrong attitude, man. That's totally the wrong (laughs) attitude. There are a lot of people quietly using a lot of open source software that isn't famous, isn't shiny and cool or whatever, but is really fucking useful to them. And that's just the worst attitude to have is, if I've not heard of it, fuck it.
2: No, what I mean is it's now, it's open source. You know, they're going to have to own it and they're going to have to take control of it and move it forward for their own uses. That's what I mean. What I actually, from a Twitter perspective is that they've not made more of a commitment. The fact that we haven't heard about their open source projects. They should have made more of a noise, more of a noise and more of a contribution to the communities that we're involved with. Mm. Then I would have had a bit more sympathy for it. True. He hasn't read the memo at all, Joe. <laughs> no, obviously not. No, I mean, no, I'm not sticking up for Elon in this. Oh,
1: no, it sounds like someone's got some emeralds in the post.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pissed off with the way that Twitter went over the last 13 years before Elon got to it, making it even worse. You know, they could have done so much more. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a much more open platform. I struggled with the fucking cookies on the API for how how much using open source clients having to re-sign up as a developer just to get a unique code. It pissed me off. That that, that happened, I don't know, eight years ago, nine years ago. The control they took over it, the limits they put on it, the ads they injected into it, all the great clients that went like Falcon on Android that went because they simply couldn't adhere to the new API access rules. That pissed me off.
0: Well, what I find hilarious in this piece by SJVN is that Twitter is running on CentOS 7 at the moment. And they were planning to move to CentOS Stream, and they've only got till the end of June 2024 to complete their migration, essentially, because that's when CentOS 7 goes out of support. So they were working on it, clearly, but it sounds like they don't really have many people, if any, working on that migration anymore. So the technical debt is building, and it's going to just be a catastrophe. Sad story. (laughs) Yeah, you've got it, aren't you, Fionnick? Meanwhile, Mastodon is really fucking good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't. You know, there are advantages to being centralized and having shitloads of resources. And, you know, just this weekend, I think Fostodon went down again briefly. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you take the rough with the smooth with Mastodon. You do, but the funny thing is I've
1: started really like enjoying going on to it because I'm not going on, I'm not getting a rage fest and a boil on the front of my forehead from looking at it every time I go on to Twitter. That's exactly what fucking happens.
0: Yeah, it's funny. The people who I know who were on Twitter but barely used it seem to have really fucking embraced Mastodon and post loads and go there loads and lurk loads and everything, whereas the people who were really active on Twitter still are really active on Twitter. It just seems to be for a different type of person, maybe. I've even found
1: some of the, the accounts using those tools, you know, that we, we talked about it last time, the one that Danny had, and then there's another one mm. moved to Don, and another, there's a load of them that come out. And they are really good at finding people, and I've actually started using them. And it's a great way to get all the sort of less FOSS people where they might be out on a weird server or something like that, and you can find them
0: that way. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really good. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. It doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows and Linux devices. It can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional MDMs can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash late night Linux to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash LateNightLinux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to LateNightLinux.com slash support for details. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. And you sometimes get episodes a little bit early there as well. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop down at checkout and you can select late night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Let's do KDE and XFCE corners. <laughs> <laughs> corners with an X. Anyway, I just wanted to put a couple of XFCE things in KDE Corner, essentially. Uh, the first one is the Zubuntu development update for December 2022. Has it got more than 16 colors now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway.
2: <laughs> I, th- I thought that read 2002. Oh, here we go, <laughs> here we go.
0: It just feels like that, gray.: Anyway, so in Zubuntu 2304, pipewire is going to replace pulse audio and also it's mm-hmm. going to have flat pack by default good look at that well more options is always good it seems to be following ubuntu mate which has got flat pack by default i think as well and pipewire in well before the next lts which is good to see there'll be plenty of people testing it hopefully so uh, that's good and also xfce 4.18 looks exciting says Joey at omg ubuntu
1: I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, that's the kind of thing we can have less of in XFC.
0: Well, yes, but it's the kind of exciting things that are actually quite good. Like, for example, in the 4.17 development release, you've got individual zoom levels for different directories. Wow. Yeah, okay, you've had that in KDE (laughs) since probably 1998, but whatever, we're catching up. Um, And and image preview sidebar, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of excitement that you want. Not, not like we've totally <laughs> fucking changed the interface excitement. It's more like this cool new optional feature.
3: It's like quality of life improvements, and I'm all for those. It's good. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right, get on with your KDE bollocks then.
1: Well, I thought, just to throw onto to our Fedora KinoNite folk, uh, it looks like Discover has RPM tree support coming in. It was disabled in KinoNite now because of bus issues. And that's been sorted, and it's been pushed to 37 soon, I believe. I don't know if that's soon, as in it has already happened or will happen very shortly, I'm not sure. But pinning and unpinning isn't implemented yet. But I thought that was, it's good for the future package
0: formats. Yeah, immutable file system distros and all that. Yep, if you like that sort of thing. All right, introducing KIOAFC. Yeah, so the KIO Slaves
1: are the famous thing that people who don't like KD whittle on about the fact that we would be whittling on about them, but is not actually true. Essentially, it means that you can access your iPhone from Dolphin or the like, or any files or dialogue. Uh, You'll be able to see the iPhone in the Discs and Devices section browse to it, and there's some sort of internal Apple file storage things that you'll also be able to access, which I have no idea what they are, but it's in KD Neon Unstable right now, and uh, SUSE Krypton, which I'm not even sure what that is.
0: Hang on, iPhones literally don't have a file system.
1: Yeah, but I imagine there's an API that essentially talks back so i mean this is called apple file conduit i assume that
0: means it's some form of (laughs) the file transferring pipe yeah i was joking of course of course they do have a file system but it's just abstracted away but that's interesting can you write to an iphone with this then do you know i don't know really i have no skin in this game and i don't care but it's good that we support these things (laughs) okay fair enough well maybe someone who has an iphone and uses kde can tell us All right, Plasma Mobile Gear 2211 is out.
1: Yeah, loads of work on this has gone in over the last few months. Um, Devin Lynn and Bushan Shah, who appeared like a Bond villain in the Academy talk, uh, do a great talk there, uh, talking about all the various things. Uh, Loads of fixes have gone in to the app drawer, home screen, better wake up and scrolling improvements. There's been optimizations to a load of stuff. A fun fact I discovered was that the OnePlus 5 has an upside down display, which now orientates correctly. I don't know why they came up with that idea, but surely they could have just flagged something that said that the upside down is now this way up, but yeah, whatever. But various apps have been updated as well. So things like the weather widget, the uh, recorder widget, the dialer, on a neo chat have had loads of improvements as well and casts as well which I think is a kind of podcasting it shows up as a virtual project in neon so I actually couldn't check that one out myself but uh yeah loads of work going on there so
0: future phone hopefully maybe we'll see still not as good as Fosh, though is it I don't care <laughs> <laughs> all right a couple of this week in KDE's
1: just a quick run over them is uh fingerprint enrollment which is obviously for the phone stuff loads of bug fixes and breeze theme fixes Kwin has a built in advanced tiling function now, which is quite good for the people who like that. I don't know, Graham, maybe we'll be trying that out. I'd have no idea, but you can resize multiple windows even beside each other at the same time. And there's a load of pre made layouts for you as well, which yeah, that sounds quite interesting to be honest. Console switch to K hamburger menu. The color picker has an average color of an image thing there's a new cool portal for Wayland which uh, for screen-sharing apps. Now, this sounds really good because that, I think, is one of the things holding me back from it is the fact that A, multi-monitor, and B, I need to use some screen-sharing apps for work, and I don't think it's as easy on Wayland right now, but this looks like that might be the way to go, so that looks really cool. And right now, there's actual fundraiser live. Katie you trying to earn, uh, get money together for hiring a new software engineer, so if you can have anything left, be great if you could donate to that as well and a quick update on the bugs the 15 minute urgent bugs 67 percent fixed that's 95 done out of 142 and the last 47 are tricky so uh it's good work because it only happened a year ago and i think that's a great project it's done really good work on things and uh keeps on going hopefully and our old friend kde itinerary well I'm hoping to travel this week. I don't know if I'll be able to with COVID rearing its ugly head. I haven't got it, but fingers crossed. But uh, should I? There's a NextLead workflow project where they're using the libraries developed by Katie Itinerary to be able to import various tickets and stuff like that, which is quite cool. Bit of code reuse. The whole mobile app has been redone with the new Kirigami mobile forms. So it's the whole UI has been refreshed. And they're talking about a new barcode type called the Flexible Content Barcode, which the European Union Agency of Trains or something like that is using. So you guys won't get it, but we'll all get a better barcode that is a non-ASCII mess. And uh, the marble server that does all the tiles has been upgraded as well. And uh, yeah, loads of fixes and bug fixes for indoor stuff like uh, stairway navigation if you need it. So there you go.
0: Well, links to all that in the show notes as usual. And definitely check out the XFCE stuff. No, don't. No, it's much more interesting than the KDE stuff. It isn't. Yeah, yes, it is. Anyway, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll have some discoveries and who knows what else. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Elon. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>